This is the Dive Bomb Squadcast, presented by Dive Bomb Industries. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. I'm your host, Asher Tolliver. It's hot, humid, and the dog days of summer may last another month, but we have officially made it to another waterfowl season. Some of you have already cranked up with the early honkers in North Dakota. Others may not be hitting the field for a while, but this is the beginning of the best time of year. Today, I am joined on the phone by our buddy, Mr. Michael Spain, co-owner of Blue Stem Waterfowl out of North Central Oklahoma. Spain, what's up, man? Man, not a whole lot. What uh, what you got going? I know you're the type of dude that, that doesn't stay dormant or stay in one place for too long. You're always on the go. So what are you what are you doing right now? Man, actually, today I've been uh, working on crappie habitat, you know, just artificial habitat for them, and go put it out. Uh, haven't haven't been freshwater fishing except for yesterday in about I don't know four years. So I think it's about time to start that back up. Crappie habitat. So do you have a some private lake or reservoir that you're doing that, or are you making your own brush piles and sinking them somewhere around there? Uh, making my own brush piles and sinking them somewhere. Um, I, I do have a couple watershed lakes around here that are pretty good fishing, and I also fish the you know Spring River and Eleven Point quite a bit. Okay, so are you sinking these with the expectation to go back and hit them this spring? Uh, man, this fall, really. Really? Uh, wait, waiting on them to get out of school, up around that structure and in some of those deeper holes and open to, maybe I'll get a chance to. How deep are you putting them? Uh, man, those holes range anywhere from seven feet, uh, 14 or 15 feet. I got you. Okay. Well, just make sure, um, whenever we get off here, you send me the coordinates so I can punch them in my map and I can check them out on live scope. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's no problem. I'll just drop a pin this fall. Okay. Just <laughs> um, now I know the other day you, I, I had talked to you and you were, you were down in Louisiana. You were troubleshooting and programming some systems in the field. What, what, what you got going on there? Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually help part time. There's a company called Smart Farm doing uh, automated irrigation, and during the summertime and up into early fall, I'll I'll help them out some. You know, in between waterfowl season, turkey season. Um, basically, what it is, you know, we put the put the nodes out in the field. It's got computer board in it, a bunch of wires running to the power unit, and you can start and stop your pump. Um, you know, check rainfall check your moisture in your fields if you have the moisture probes and stuff like that it's actually pretty cool for um it's it's basically to uh save groundwater gotcha so people don't over pump gotcha now before we get into this would you mind giving us a rundown of your waterfowl background like when you started how you got started when you decided to make a career out of it yeah, so dad, my dad, you know, he got at hunts whenever I was real young. Um, he started taking me, I guess I was five. Uh, yeah, I carried a, a Daisy BB gun back then. And then he bought me my first shotgun when I was seven. Started taking me, I shot my first uh, my first ducks when I was seven. Shot my first deer when I was seven. And it's kind of went from there, really. Uh, you know, he, he got it up until I was probably, I don't know, 13 or 14. And then he sold he sold the business, and then you know he still had some clients that were calling him, wanting him to take them, and he was just too busy. So they kind of, I started kind of taking them and got to be friends with them and stuff like that. And okay. uh, I guess I started started really guiding, and I don't know, I was probably somewhere between eighteen and twenty, I guess. Worked for worked for a couple outfitters and. Then decided to start my own deal, so I started running hunts in Arkansas. And so I guess that was probably five years ago. Whenever we got that bad freeze up in Arkansas, uh, you know, I, I knew it wasn't going to be very good there for a little while. And I talked to Ethan, which is my partner at Blue Stem. He said he was in out, out in Oklahoma, and man, they were they were pounding the birds. So I called all my clients and asked them if they wanted to go to Oklahoma, and they kind of they kind of laughed. You know, they. They basically said, well, we trust you. If you say it's about to go, then we'll meet you there. And that's what I did. 
originally I planned on only spending about five days there. And 35 days later, I came home. <laughs> That's incredible. So you were guiding around. Now you're from right around Jonesboro, right? Yeah. Yeah. I actually grew up right there at Rainy Break um, in Lynn. Where'd you go to high school? I, I went to uh, Hillcrest, which is Lynn and Strawberry Consolidated. Okay. So you were guiding around that area, that kind of northeast Arkansas area, and that Rainy Break, uh, Dave Johnson, Black River corridor. Yeah, yeah. And you saw an opportunity out there. Now, Ethan, you know, Ethan you, that you just mentioned, he, he came up through the minor leagues with the Phillies, and I'm almost certain that we crossed paths in double A when I was with uh, Bowie with the Orioles and he was in Reading. So I was, I was glad to finally meet Ethan last winter because I had known about him through baseball. It was also great seeing him and some of the other guys at squad fest back in June as well. But with him being a Georgia guy, what the heck was he doing out in Oklahoma and how in the world did you guys even come to meet to have that conversation to say, Hey man, you need to come out here and shoot some ducks. Well, whenever, whenever he got out of the big leagues, he, just started hunting, uh, you know, just kind of goofing off, taking taking some time off. And he had actually hunted with me in Arkansas. Okay. And then he was hunting with a guy out in Oklahoma. And long story short, he was supposed to go out there and guide with this guy. The guy didn't have the ground that he said that he had. So, you know, Ethan, Ethan just started locking on his own stuff and trying to trying to make contacts and, and meet, you know, landowners and other other outfitters and stuff like that. And uh, so that's that's basically what what he was doing out there. Okay. Now, when you were in Arkansas, were you guiding field hunts predominantly, or did were you guys doing any timber stuff or what? No, I mean it was mainly mainly field hunts. Um, yeah, I guess the last year or two that I guided in Arkansas, we had you know we had a little bit of green timber. It wasn't. It wasn't anything spectacular. It wasn't a spot that you go to every single day, but it was a spot that you could get a few hunts off of a year. Pretty, pretty neat setup. Gotcha. But it was, it was mainly all fields. When you were seven years old, do you remember? You said you, it's when you killed your first duck, uh, killed your first deer. Do you remember where that was? Yeah, yeah. You know, I remember like I could get you within ten miles. Um, it was, it was right there around Swift and. Okay. And we were sitting in a 16 foot pit with double dive boxes, and I actually killed a, a green head and a hen in, you know, in, in one shot. But that always kind of stick out. It was kind of cool. No doubt. Now, unless you've been living under a rock, you already know that Blue Stem, they've put themselves on the map as a premier waterfowl outfit, not just in terms of harvest that we've seen on social media, uh, but the accommodations their presence, the quality of the presence on social media, the experience of their guides. Uh, Michael just told us you used to operate an outfit in Arkansas. Now they're operating Blue Stem out in Oklahoma. You guys recently built a nice lodge out there. What, what was that decision like? You know, going out there, getting some roots planted, and then you say, man, I think this is something that – we want to see through. This isn't just a short term deal, but we're, this is where we want to be. This is where we want, what we want to do. What, what was that like making that decision? Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of a little bit scary anytime you decide to do something like that. Cause you know, before that we were, we were renting a few houses and stuff like that to house our guys in. So I mean, you didn't really have your real commitment to that. You know, say something happened. I mean, just like, just like last year, you know, COVID you know, shutting down turkey season. Um, so you didn't, you know, you didn't have to spend that money if something happened. So, I mean, building a lodge is definitely, definitely a big step. Um, we were, we were excited about it. You know, we did the math on it over and over. And, you know, with, with the headache that we had renting houses and keeping all that and stocking them and the, the money that was spent towards rent and, and all that, you know, it just, it just made sense to, to build a lodge. And, you know, everybody seems to, be really happy with it it's kind of a cool setup you know we've got a common area in the middle and then we've got two wings so basically we have two different groups in and each group gets their own private side of the lodge you know they've got their bedrooms they've got uh, a mud room a little living room you know for just their group we've got the back patio it's kind of a common area and then the the main common area where the 
where the dining room tables and all that are, so they can they can mingle together if they want to. They can hang out by themselves if they want to. Now, are you guys typically running two groups a day? Do you is that a standard throughout the season? Do you ever run one group a day or three or four groups a day, or is there times that you run two groups out of there and somebody off site somewhere else? What's a what's a typical uh, you know let's say November, mid-November, going through December, you know, pretty pretty busy time for you guys. What is What does it look like that time of year? Yeah, so basically last year, you know, we ran three groups a day, okay. two groups through the lodge, and then one group, uh, you know, kind of off-site, but still in that same area. But, you know, I don't know, this is a long-term deal for us. I don't want to, you know, ruin the area and blow all the birds out, over-pressure it and, and all that. So what we decided on this year we're going to run three groups for 15 days of the season, kind of split up, spread out through the season. The rest of the season, we're only going to run two groups out of out of that location. Okay. Now, how do you split your guides up when you're running, say, three groups a day? How do you guys usually structure it? So we we have you no know, set groups. Okay. Um. So like this year, we'll have uh, we'll have three groups of three up there at, at the north location and then of course we have me and ethan as well so you know you're you're going with the same guys or our guides are going with the same guys every day um so you know there's we don't get all mixed up and trying to figure out who's going with who and you know their their gear is kind of their responsibility and all that um so basically basically three groups of three and then and then me and ethan uh, kind of help whoever needs help gotcha now, I know you do a lot of turkey hunting. You do a lot of traveling uh, through the Midwest and whatnot. You know, Kansas, Nebraska, Oklahoma. I'm sure you go a lot of other places because it seems like every single day you're somewhere different in the spring <laughs> um, chasing a turkey. My first question, though, before I get to the main question is, do you like turkey hunting better or waterfowl hunting? If you could only do one or the other, which one would you choose? Man, I'm picking turkeys without a doubt. Really? There's no comparison. It's my favorite favorite thing without a doubt. Wow. I know Kay uh, and Kyle would say the same thing, man. I, I mean, I love waterfowl hunting, but waterfowl hunting to me <clears throat> has has changed. The, the reason that I get most of the enjoyment out of waterfowl hunting is because of the clients. Sure. You know, seeing their faces, them laughing and smiling. Man, that was almost awesome hunt we've ever been on. You know, we've never seen anything like that. That that's what I get my enjoyment out of. Like as for me pulling the trigger, I, I don't I don't care anything about it. Sure. Um, I'm just doing it, you know, all for everybody else. Really, that that's the reason that I get enjoyment out of that. Now turkey hunting, I I still love shooting turkeys. I killed my first one this spring, and it was it was pretty amazing. I've definitely got plans to do more of it next spring. I don't know that I'll ever get the way the guys are that I work with about turkeys. I mean, it's, it's awesome. And I see why they're ate up with them the way they are. It was incredible. I really, really enjoyed it, but I, I love, I love crappie fishing in the spring as well. I've gotten crazy addicted to live scope. I know people that listen to this have heard me say that like 10 times, but something about hunting like big crappie on a live scope will probably keep me from ever getting just crazy ate up with turkeys in the spring, but I can definitely see myself doing it more and more every spring like next spring i definitely want to travel like they went out in the mountains and shot a miriam's out in western colorado on some public ground and it was just so pretty and i was like man i would love to get involved with that next year so i could see myself doing a little bit more moving around for turkeys next spring but i'm not sure that i'll ever get like where cade it's just on his mind 24 7 all the time around with a mouth call in all the time just driving everybody crazy but yeah he's pretty ate up with it so that brings me to my second question the first part of that i mentioned travel around going a bunch of different states you know chasing turkeys and you've mentioned uh blue stem and that location do you guys ever have any plans for expansion of blue stem oh yeah yeah we do definitely do there's a few things that we're working on um, but yeah, yeah, I don't, you know, me and Ethan both, we don't really want to sit still. You know, I don't, there's no reason to not expand <clears throat> as long as the, you know, the quality of hunts are, are good and everything's organized and we have the right guys in place to, to make it happen. Yeah. I don't want to expand too fast and, 
end up making a bad name or putting people on bad hunts or you know something something not going as planned but yes we we definitely have a few things in the works would you ever expand back east toward home in arkansas or do you think arkansas's glory days are for the most part behind them man that's that's kind of hard really um i think i think for the time being it's mostly you know it's mostly gone I'm not going to say that I wouldn't expand back east because if it was if it was the right setup, the right deal, uh, definitely definitely would be interested. But yeah, I don't know. I think that uh, that farming practices have changed. Uh, birds have changed over time. You know, there's there's a lot more agriculture out in the western states than there used to be. You know, Oklahoma used to it was mainly wheat. You know, now you know with the with the no till. People planting milo and corn, you got lots of crop. You got crops sitting right on top of the ground, easy pickings. I mean, why are they going to go fly to a rice field and have to dig around in the mud for a bushel and a half an acre of rice that might be laying there half rotted? Right. Yeah. What are your thoughts on the current state? Uh, well, I mean, you're an Arkansas native, so I'll ask you. I'm an Arkansas native, joining you right now from Sherwood. You're up in northeast Arkansas. What are your thoughts on the current state of waterfowling in Arkansas? Man, it, it doesn't look that good. I mean, it's been going downhill. Uh, that's one reason I moved out to Oklahoma. You know, the hunting in Arkansas has been going downhill. I know, you know, I'm just 30. Uh, you know, so I didn't, I didn't see it back in the 70s, 80s, obviously. But I started hunting in, uh, in 95. I mean, it was good. It was really good. Um, it just kind of slowly got worse. I mean, uh, yes, we've we've had great hunts and we've had good years and stuff like that. But since, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, it's kind of been a steady decline since about 2009, about the year that I graduated. Uh, you know, before that, I, you know, I went to school there at, at Hillcrest, and it was I don't know seven or eight minutes from Randy Break, mm-hmm. and I kind of had it made. You know, I got to go hunt just about every morning before school, and it, it was good. You know, we could go out there and we could shoot you know, our limited birds and make it to school almost on time pretty much every morning. But it's, it's just not like that anymore. No. Do you get to spend any time these days hunting in Arkansas or is pretty much all your time spent in Oklahoma? I don't guess I've hunted Arkansas. This will be with the exception of snow geese. Y'all chase snow geese around right. and uh, might shoot a teal or two or dove or something. But as far as ducks go, I don't, I don't guess I've hunted Arkansas and, four years three three yeah, three right. or four no, yeah i did not know that Jeez. so i know you've, you've grown to love oklahoma and the abundant waterfowl opportunities there i'm sure this is a layup question after what we've been talking about but arkansas you know is still home if you could only hunt in oklahoma or arkansas the rest of your life not including turkeys what would what would you choose um i mean i'm picking oklahoma yeah not surprised last year you guys posted a video of what looked like 22 maybe 23 guns absolutely pounding lessers over water how did you guys come to the decision to shoot the water that day and what is your response to those who don't agree with it because most people saw the videos they saw the rain out they saw the size of the groups that were coming in can you just talk about that for a little bit well that day in particular um, and we've been sitting on that roost for a while. You know, they were they were feeding to the west of there. They basically weren't weren't huntable where they were feeding. But <clears throat> the wind looked right, the sun was right. You know, every everything was perfect. Uh, weather was just perfect for it. We had a good hide on the south end. We had a south wind. And just everything was perfect for it. You know, we had two groups in, both of them from Iowa, and uh, you know, good guys. And we just we gave them the option, hey. Yeah, we've got this spot. If it's good, it's going to be really, really good. If it's bad, it's going to be really bad. You know, we definitely plan on shooting them. But, uh, yeah, if we're going to go do it, we might as well take everybody everybody to it. No no sense in shooting it just for, you know, eight or ten guns. We might as well all go. We'll, we'll get set up real quick. Wait, wait on the birds to fly off and get set up real quick. And, you know, see if we can get them. And they, they agreed. So instead of going and shooting two feeds or two ponds or whatever, we just grouped them all up and, and shot one. And uh, that, that was a one of a shot. It was good. It was a lot of fun. 
I don't know who sent me that video. It was like maybe the day of or the next day. And I don't remember <laughs> where we were. And I think I showed it to Kate or Forrest or somebody. We were on the road and they were just like, whoa. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a good day to be one that will be remembered for a long time, without a doubt. But with us and the clients, they, they had an absolute ball. And those guys are from from Iowa, you said? Yeah, yeah. Both of those groups were. Yeah. Yep. I can't imagine they've they've ever seen or experienced anything like that. I would assume that they probably already rebooked with you guys. Oh yeah. Yeah, they have. <laughs> and they've you know, both both groups have been coming for a couple of years now. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a right way to shoot the water without seeing an immediate negative impact to the area and the other hunters around you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like hunting anything. Um, I think if you get in and get out as quick as possible, you know, you're you're doing less damage without a doubt. And you know, like when when we shot that, instead of going in early and bumping the birds off the roost and causing mass confusion, we we just waited. You know, wait on them to fly off to go feed. Everybody run in there, set up as quick as possible, land as many geese as you can. Every volley, get your limits killed as quick as you can. Uh, just try to call the shot at the right time to where to where you're, you know, spooking as, as few as possible. Right. And uh, I mean, I, I think that's the main thing. I mean, it's just like hunting, hunting a feed, you know, pond, duck pond, whatever. If you can go in and kill your limit and not educate the entire flock of birds, you're way better off doing that. Just get in, get out as quick as you can. Were you calling the shot that day? Yeah, yeah, I was. How loud? Did you have to yell with the line that long for everybody to hear you? Well, see, I always sit right in the middle of the blinds, so not near as loud as you'd think. Okay. Well, and I guess, you know, when your neighbor in the corner of your eye, you see him start to make a move. Because, I mean, oh, guys yeah. that waterfowl hunt, I mean, you can kind of all anticipate it. Most people that, that hunt regularly probably are going to call the shot within two seconds of, of each other anyway. So I'm sure – you know, you're saying, okay, get ready, get ready. And the information's getting passed down the A-frames. Right. Uh, yeah, and both, both of those groups, they've hunted with me before. So they, they kind of know, you know, I'm, I'm always super, super patient on a shot call. I don't see any reason to call it early. You know, I'll, I'll mess up every now and then, but you might as well let as many sit down as you possibly can because one big reason we're there is for the show. Yeah, I mean, we're there to, to, to shoot birds, but, you know, landing a huge flock of birds is an experience. How long did that hunt take once you guys started calling at the first group? Man, I don't know. Probably 45 minutes or so. Oh, so it was... It, it, it might was, have been an hour, but... Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was It was really quick. It would have been even quicker had we been able to get the birds picked up fast. Yeah, we had four dogs out there running, and the four dogs couldn't keep up with it. Jeez, man. That's crazy. All right, enough of that. It's time to talk about what's really important. I recently learned some shocking details about Michael Spain that I need to share with you guys. At night, whenever Michael gets out of the shower, he dresses himself for the next day. Now, I don't mean he dresses himself and then strips down to his undies for bedtime. I mean, he stays completely dressed with the exception of his shoes and crawls under the covers. Michael, <laughs> we need you to break this down for us. Well, I mean, the real question is, why would you not? You know, it saves so much time. So, I mean, through, through a little research, because I was, I was actually interested in this. Okay, so it takes the average human 17 minutes to get dressed. Because I'm sure most people get dressed in the mornings when they're groggy, right? You're looking around for your clothes, you're kind of tired, so you're not nearly as efficient. So, you know, it takes you, the average shower takes about eight minutes. So I feel like, you know, getting dressed at night, being ready, ready to go, and my feet hit the floor the next morning, in theory, probably saves me somewhere around 14 minutes a day. How long have you been doing this? Man, a few years. I haven't really ever thought about it until the other day when a buddy of mine got to laughing at me for doing it. <laughs> And so, I was like, man, that so crazy it makes perfect sense. So you haven't been doing this your whole life? Uh, no, not my whole life. Why, um, why'd you I, st why, why did you start? 
Well, I think it, I, I don't really know exactly when it started, but I would say just whenever I started getting busier and busier, you know, with, with guiding waterfowl hunts, turkey hunts on, uh, unlimited sleep, you know, you're going to make the most of your time, be as efficient as possible. It's all about efficiency. Okay. So what about during hunting season? I mean, are you going full Hudson bibs and jacket to bed or what? Oh, <laughs> uh, no, no. The Hudson bibs and jacket, they got to stay in the truck because I get hot. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll throw on a pair of Dakota pants and a uh, heavyweight <laughs> hoodie or whatever I'm wearing. I'm not kidding. <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you look at it, so, you know, through, throughout a year, I work about 355 days. I'm not guiding all those days by any means, but, you know, that, that's how many days I work. So you save an average of 14 minutes a day over 355 days. That's around about 80 to 85 hours a year. So you take 80 to 85 hours a year and just say, just for simplicity, say you make 25 bucks an hour, right? So you add all that together, you're saving yourself 2,100 bucks a year just by getting dressed the night before. <laughs> what if you're going somewhere important and your clothes are wrinkled? I don't really go to many places that are important that matter. So Yeah, really the only important place I go is, is to God. What does your wife think about this? Uh, I think she thinks I'm an actual crazy person, really. She hates it. So, like, you know, you guys are snuggling or whatever. You know, because sometimes my wife, if we, we got a bunch of kids that sleep in bed now. But, you know, we might would maybe snuggle for five minutes and I'd get hot. Then I'd turn over and go to sleep. And she, you know, after five minutes, she's like, uh, you know, I'm all set. Don't touch me. <laughs> so, you're, yeah, yeah. so you're, like, snuggled up with uh, – you know, full Dakota pants and a and a heavyweight and a heavyweight hoodie on. Yeah, yeah, she doesn't like it. She says that uh, you know, a pair of jeans and a and a hoodie is just not that comfortable. <laughs> to no with, but I mean, I like it just fine. So you keep. What about socks? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I wear socks to bed without a doubt. Dude, how do you not burn up? Because that's the way I like regulate my my temperature in bed. Like if I get hot, I kick my feet out. That's how I can cool off. But if you've got socks strapped on, how do you how do you stay cool? You just don't cover up. So you just so, go straight, straight outfit on top of the covers. Yeah, I mean, basically, my clothes are my covers. Dude. Everyone, after you listen to this podcast, I need you to leave a review and tell us where you stand on this. Is Michael crazy <laughs> for showering and getting dressed for the next day, the night before, or are we crazy for not taking a page out of his book? I, we need to know. We need some answers to this. You are the only person I have ever met or heard of doing such a thing. I mean, that's like, you know, people thought I was weird whenever I was a kid. I'm kind of OCD. Uh, I'm actually, I'm not kind of OCD. I'm, I'm pretty freaking OCD. When I was a kid, on school nights, I would lay out my clothes that I was going to wear the next day. And the way I'd lay them out is I'd lay out my shirt, and then I'd put, like, my pants below them, like where I would wear my pants, and I'd lay my little belt there. And then I'd put my shoes, and then I'd put my socks tucked in my shoes and I'd have my whole little outfit laid out there perfectly. It was almost like a, a flat human there. That was, that was the extent of my uh, preparedness for the next morning. And people thought I was a psychopath, but now once they learn that you are actually, you're not laying them out like an imaginary person and, and having them ready. You're actually already wearing them like feet, Hit the floor, you're ready to conquer the day, man. Yeah, and you know, as long as my shoes aren't muddy, yeah, again, waterfowl season, of course, I leave them outside in the shop so I don't get mud tracked all down the hallway because I get tired of sweeping the floor. But yeah, my, if my shoes aren't muddy, my shoes are sitting out there by my bed, I can spin around in bed, my feet go straight in my shoes, I run to the sink, brush my teeth, I'm out the door. Well, what about what about the guys that aren't? As prepared, though, like at the lodge, do you always ride by yourself? Like, I, I assume that you're, you've got other people that are going with you or following you maybe to the field to set out decoys or going to meet clients. So what about the people that 
do you do you just use that time to wake up a little bit later? So you say, okay, we're leaving at three. Do you just freaking wake up at like two fifty and brush your teeth and you're ready to go? Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I mean, so so it's kind of weird. I pretty much always wake up late and I'll always leave late, but I'll never be late. I don't know how it works. We talked about it at Godhouse a bunch. Yeah, I'll plan on leaving at 3.30. I won't leave till 4. I'll still be there and set up on time. But aren't you defeating the purpose of your dress? Then, I, Well, I guess you would be even later if you weren't already dressed. Or maybe I would wake up earlier if I wasn't dressed. To maybe, I'm, not, I'm not real sure. I haven't thought that one through. Have you thought about converting back to uh, what all the other normal people in the world do? Or do you think you might stick with this method for, for a while? No, no, I think I'm going to stick with this and, and see if we can start a trend here. So you're going to ride it out and see. This is going to like turn into the um, the Subway Jersey Mike's thing with me and Kay. It's <laughs> like it it started as like the most ridiculously like casual joke. And here we are six months, seven months later. And like every day I'm getting tagged with like a Jersey Mike's or a Subway. People are like, oh, dude, Jersey Mike's is trash or Subway's trash. Like. Cage, you're crazy. You're Asher, you're crazy. This is going to be like the new thing. It's like people are going to start getting dressed the night before and climbing in their bed and then like tagging me and maybe even I, tagging like blue stem. And I'm you, you, you might be on to something, especially with these water. I mean, I know a few guys that could greatly benefit from showering and getting dressed the night before because I get tired of waiting on them the next morning to get ready. Uh, Kate, I mean, try it. I'm, we're, we might talk to Kate about this and see if we can get him on, on the, um, which Kate, Kate does pretty good waking up in the mornings. He's, if we like go back and there's a little break or a little lull and he like falls down for a little nap or lays down in the afternoon. He is just boy, out. He's tough to get back to, to bring him back to life after that. But, you know, we. So I, I don't. I don't take midday naps. I think I took. I think I took one nap last waterfowl season, and I. I really didn't mean to. I was just sitting upright talking to Ethan. I was fully dressed, like coat, bibs, the whole works. Next thing I know, it's an hour and a half later. I wake up. I'm sweating. I'm about to die. And uh, Travers, I guess Travers had seen that I was, you know, sweating like crazy, so he put a fan on me. I mean, thankfully. But yeah, those those only nap I got. And, you know, that's, that's one reason that I get dressed at night. I stay up. I'm the last one up every night. I just can't go to sleep because I'm always planning something, looking at the weather on X, just whatever. I just, I don't, I don't sleep just a whole lot. So I might as well use that time to get dressed. Man, I used to be like a napping champion. I had this routine when I played, played baseball and, and I, I wanted to hunt every day, but I also had to train workout throw every single day but you know how the arkansas public land stuff works i mean a lot of those those are like oh, yeah. midnight sometimes earlier spend the night at the ramp seven eight nine i've had days i've actually stayed 24 hours in a place and i was trying to find a way to manage that and do that you know 55 days a year but also had to throw and work out and get my body in shape for baseball season because as soon as that's over i got to go to spring training so I've got to find a way to balance these two. So what I used to do is I had this routine where I would have to leave the woods. I, I knew where I was, where I was hunting, whether I was hunting Dagmar, Biomita, White River Bottoms, Cash River Bottoms. I, I knew what time I had to be out of there to get home and get a long enough nap in so I could be at the high school ready to train whenever they started their baseball practice. So I could get my bullpens in, I could lift my weights and all that stuff. So I used to be like this the ultimate napper. I, I had this routine that was so dialed, man, these days, I, I guess just whenever you have kids and you get older and you don't get the ability to get those naps anymore, you, you just lose it, man. And I am, I'm just not a good napper anymore. I, I used to have it, man. And I just, I don't got it anymore. And there'll be times, you know, I'll just be dog exhausted and you'll just like fall asleep but as far as the ability to just lay down we call them underwear naps like you've got a nap so you've got a power nap which is like you lay down and or sit upright in a chair in like 15 
to 30 minutes, like a total recharge. You're just not even getting into your, your, what is it? The REM or whatever they call it. Yeah, yeah. Or you've got what we call an underwear nap and an underwear nap is like, you're down, bro. Like you're going down to your undies. You're not, you're not just, you're not messing around, like leaving your hoodie and your pants on. You're going straight to the undies under the covers, maybe even the, the sound machine on, or maybe you turn the TV and put the volume on like four, oh, man, that, you know, just where you, yeah, yeah. Two hours, like minimum, minimum underwear nap length. And, you know, I just, I don't have it anymore, sadly, but you know, it is what it is. Somebody that's hunting as many days as you are throughout the season. How many hours of sleep do you need a night to function every day? Man, if I get, if I get four, I'm in good shape. Dang, I'm in real man. good shape. Um, three, I can do three for a while. No, no, I wish I got six. That'd be awesome. You're going to bed at midnight most nights then. Uh, yeah, 11 to midnight, waking up at three to four. And I mean, we do that through turkey season as well. Um, you know, the days out in Nebraska are crazy long. You know, It'll be it'll be nine thirty ten o'clock. It'll still basically be daylight outside. So by the time you get back to the lodge and you eat and sit there and drink beer too and go to bed, I mean you're not in bed before midnight, and then it's getting bright. You know, it's getting daylight super early. So you're you're up at four, and then we've got, I guess we've got about seventy days of season out there. So it's you know we go straight from waterfowl and then start chasing snow geese around a little bit and then go go to turkey. So what is your what is your schedule like right now? What time are you going to bed right now? And what time are you waking up? Like, say you don't have something super pressing the next day and you can just sleep. What are you, what are you doing uh, right now? What's your schedule like? I'm, I'm usually out of bed this morning. I was actually out of bed at five. Um, oh, not so because I wanted to be like really early. Well, I didn't want to be up at five, but my son had a little too much juice to drink last night, I guess. And he peed all over my back this morning. <laughs> So, got, got the morning started off right. But, no, usually about, I don't know, I usually get out of bed 7, 8 o'clock. Okay. But I'll, I'll go to bed anywhere between midnight and 3. Jeez, dude. Your schedule's, like, maybe more messed up than mine. I don't really have a schedule. No, it doesn't sound like it. I'm kind of the same way, though, so I can't say anything. I've got a pretty messed up schedule. I'll get ready. I'll think I'm going to bed, and it'll be you know, 11, 1130. And then I'll look up and it'll be two. And I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Oh, yeah. Like I found yeah. myself on Instagram or Facebook group or answering questions. And, you know, I look up and I'm like, geez, man, I got to get to sleep. I got, I got work to get done in the morning. You know, my, my main thing, I get consumed with looking at on X maps, you know, like poten- potential Turkey leases and stuff like that. And I'll, you know, I'll, I'll sit down on the couch at nine o'clock whenever my wife goes to put my kid down to bed and then I'll look up and it's three or four o'clock in the morning. It's like, holy cow. So you're on on X, you're looking at Turkey stuff. Like you're not even, you're not even thinking about looking at new waterfowl stuff. Like you're completely consumed with the Turkey stuff. Man, I look at, I look at waterfowl stuff quite a bit, but we've, we've got a ton of property out there right now. Um, I mean, we've got upwards of 200,000 acres and I've also got, you know, guys out there that are, that are doing that for us, sure. um, to have land contacts and all that. Now, is, is so, yeah, I assume I mean, most of that stuff is season lease? Uh, yeah, yeah, I guess. Okay. I got you. For Blue Stem, what are some expectations for this coming season? I mean, I know obviously, you know, you've, you, you want to give clients a great experience. You want them to leave feel like they got a unique one-of-a-kind experience you know check off a bucket list um but do you guys have any as a company do you have any sort of goals or expectations for this season that you'd like to meet or see or just keep doing your thing keep the keep the ball rolling what what's good for blue stem this season no, really the only thing that, that I expect or that me and Ethan expect at all, um, you know, we don't we don't really base anything off bird numbers. I mean, of course we wanna we wanna shoot limits every day if, if possible. I mean, it's not possible to kill them every day, just not as much as you'd like to. But I mean, in all honesty, as long as everything's ran right, everybody's on time, everything's well organized, clients are happy, that's really the only thing that we expect. Right. You know, we don't we don't have a set goal like you know we want to shoot eight thousand 
8,000 birds this year or anything like that, you know, you, you really can't control the migration. Um, all, all that we can ask is everybody just does the best that they can do, scout hard, hunt hard, make, you know, make smart decisions. Um, and that's about it. When is your first group this year? Oh, so yeah, I guess it'd be somewhere around November 4th, that first weekend in November. Man, the duck hunting was so good when we were there last year. We made two really good videos that have that have done really well. They were early on in our channel, and we're going to do a lot, lot this year. We've got a lot on deck. Plans to do a lot of really good stuff. But, man, we had two outstanding days with you guys last year. So good that Forrest and Kyle, they're like, man, we you got to let us go to Blue Stem this year. And I was like, all right, you guys can go. Me and Kate will – We'll go figure something else. I'll go see, see Spain another time. So we're going to let you guys meet the other, the other two. Yeah, that be a good time. The other two guys that run around with us, and you'll love them. They're just both great guys. But they're like, man, I want to get out to Oklahoma and hunt with, hunt with Blue Stem. I said, all right, we'll put you on the it's, schedule for that one. So it, it is a good time, and you know, I mean, you get to talk about this in the blind last year. One thing that we do differently from from a lot of outfitters, it seems. Is we're real selective on what gets shot and when it gets shot. So, you know, say we're holding four or five thousand birds on a roost. Well, there's really not much reason to go shoot it. Sure. You know, you can bounce around the small ponds around around the edge of it or get downwind of it. You know, on the other side of the roost or in a field or whatever, and and hunt those two to three hundred bird pockets and you know consistently get good hunts off of them instead of having one banger. You know, you go out there and you get you get 18 or 20 different hunts off that one flock of birds. Right. I mean, last year we've got that video, that, that ice hole mallards video and the biggest bunches that we had working, they all, the sun got up and they really started making their way over to this little uh, transition pond that we were hunting. And we had plenty of birds come in during that stretch and we didn't fire a shot just because, we felt like a large number of birds that were using that particular pond that had been in there hot and heavy, they were circling or in the air or working around and we just, we didn't mess with them. We let them go, let them leave out. And then they just kind of started that slow trickle again. And then we just got right back into it. So, yeah, you know, a lot, a lot of times if, there's certain times that you can get by with it, but you know, if, if there's been 300 birds on a pond and you have 150 in the air at one time, you know, there's not much sense in shooting into that 150 because now you just cut your bird numbers in half. You can let them fly off and come back and, you know, twos and fives, tens, whatever, and, right. and have consistently, you know, good quality hunts and not, not be educating a ton of birds. Definitely. I mean, I think as far as in our travels, I think when you get to late in the season and you get 150 to 300 birds on a pond in Oklahoma that they're consistently using, if you, if you manage it right – you've got a really, really good chance to kill the birds that you need to kill that particular morning. I mean, it's, they're, oh, yeah. they're just predictable. They really are. They're, they're very predictable. If they've been in there and you, you're good to them. It seems like in my experience coming out there, maybe the last three years or so is in, in all of waterfowling uh, mallards in Oklahoma later in the season that have gotten a pattern established. If, if you're good to them, they, They'll give you what you need. It seems like, yeah, at least when yeah. I've been out there. So, I'm exactly and, I, right. and I know there's days that it don't come together like that, but uh, that's just been my experience as far as birds and time of year and predictability. Is you know they're right up there with with the best of them, in my opinion. Yep, yep, you're exactly right on that. Do you think COVID? hurt or help you guys what, what difference are you seeing as far as your books and your numbers for this year compared to last year man it, it really didn't hurt us um i mean we we still have full books you know last year and this year um i guess really the only thing only thing that it did you know we had a, a couple groups last year that weren't able to make it you know we ended up we ended up getting those spots full but the, the guys that, you know, we were expecting to see that we see every single year, you know, we didn't get to see them. So kind of, kind of miss some of our friends, but sure. as far as, as far as hunts go, you know, we, it, it didn't really affect us on the, on the waterfowl side. Right. Well, man, I am, I'm excited to get back out there. We're coming in 
November. We'll be there early to shoot some lessers, the 15th and 16th. Cade's going to be with me, and then we're going to have a guy from uh, Magpul that's going to be joining. I think they'll have a guy and a video guy, so that one will be pretty fun. So I'll get to see you guys early, and we'll shoot some lessers, and then uh, we're going to send Forrest and Kyle on that next trip out, uh, the 5th and 6th, which will be just a, a few days after the time frame that we were out there last year, and it was just it was stellar that first day. You know, I, we were on the bank of that that pond and had the ice eater running, and the snow was just spitting a little bit. Birds just kind of coming out of the fog, and man, it was just it was money, man. It was picture perfect, just about the way that that you draw it up. You were where were you, where were you that day? Where I guess you were running another group. Yeah, I hung with another group. I can't even remember. I was I was somewhere around that area, but I, I really don't even remember where I was at. Yeah, yeah, I hunted with another group. Oh, well, hunted with Ethan and and Browse and uh, Austin Ferguson, the group of guys that yeah. were with us were hilarious too. I actually still talk to a couple <laughs> of those guys on Instagram. They'll send me some. Oh, really good guys. Post some clips on there, but. The one guy, I think his name's Cole. He is freaking funny as crap, dude. He's sitting next to me. <laughs> he's an absolute trip. Next day, I hunted with y'all on the on the little wooded pond. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that was that was a sweet hunt too, man. That was a pretty cool little little place. You know what I would have really liked to done if it wasn't frozen is if the wind was right would be to stand. I don't even know the depth of it out there, but it just looked cool. It looked oh, yeah. like it would be sweet if you could stand out there in those trees and then shoot them out. Of, but, I mean, it was frozen. There was ice all the way around it. We right, right. But if it was open, that would be a pretty sick little hunt. Have you well, guys I ever done that? I guess about it. Yeah, I haven't personally. Um, I guess Braden and Travers hunted it i don't know probably a week it might have been two weeks i really don't know it was sometime last year before before we hunted it and they actually stood in the in the woods yeah, that's cool. and they, they had a good shoot they had a real good shoot yeah that, that spot was kicking ass dude i i absolutely loved it and we we didn't really know what to expect you know it was kind of one of those things it was frozen over pretty hard probably harder than what most of us expected it to freeze over now. oh yeah but it yeah. turned into a it turned into a great hunt it made a really cool video we've got some really really cool clips a lot of people have, have sent messages about that hunt and how much they enjoyed watching it so man ducks anytime you get green heads and water especially water that's a little smaller you know a little smaller bodies of water it just people love it i mean that's just all there's to it geese are cool but just the cold hard truth is people like watching ducks you know they like watching ducks work they like watching ducks get shot and oh yeah just get a yeah. lot more views that's just all there is to it i don't i don't care what anybody says i love geese but ducks just get views that's just all there is to it youtube Instagram, oh, facebook everybody loves ducks, and they're just so relatable which i mean big canada geese are i mean heck you can kill them in 49 of the 50 states i think but Everybody just everybody loves ducks, man. I, I don't see how you how you can. I, I've got to ask you. I'm sure I already know the answer to this question, but if you could only shoot ducks or geese, which one would it be? Man, I'm shooting geese. What? Without a doubt. Oh my gosh. Without a doubt. You shower now, and get dressed at night, and you would rather shoot geese over a freaking greenhead. Absolutely. Oh my god. Absolutely. Well, give me your. I mean, I, I hunt. I hunt ducks a lot, but um, man, I just I like the way that geese work. Now, if it's the difference between ducks and big Canada geese, I'm going to take the ducks. But those those lessers, and you know, that's a lot of people like the ducks over geese just because they've never shot lessers before. But we've had so many groups of guys come in that were bound and determined to shoot to shoot ducks, and then you know we didn't have a good duck feed or whatever, so we took them to shoot lessers, and we get done, and they're like, "Man, that was a whole lot different than I expected." Like, can we do this again tomorrow? But just the the way they work, and you know they can they can definitely screw you too. Um, you know you're on a on a big feed, and they they jump feeds or just decide not to work or whatever. And I I think it's just the the anticipation and the and the planning, and then when when you do trick them, I mean it's a lot of fun. Lessers are awesome, man. There's no doubt about that. So you'd rather take lessers 
So both of these guaranteed bangers, let's say 10 guys, 10 of your closest buddies. Lesser's in an Oklahoma wheat field or Mallard's in the woods at Rainy Break. Both of them are bangers, 100% layups. You're taking the Lesser's? Man, I don't know. It's been a long time since I've hunted like true green timber, so I'm probably going to take the green timber shoot. Yeah, well, that's where your loyalty lies. It's been a long time, though. Now you let me get on four or five more green timber shoots. Change your mind. I'm probably going to take the Lesser's. <laughs> All right, before I let you go, I got one more question. Um, which product are you most excited about coming from Dive Bomb that you guys are going to be able to use at Blue Stem this fall? Man, those fully flocks little wets, I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, definitely. Real yeah. excited. I know you guys have been looking forward to those for a long time, and we've been looking forward to getting them out there, not only in your hands, but everybody else's hands that, that's been excited about them. And, and I can't wait. They are, they're coming. We'll have them soon. And uh, I can't wait to see the kind of work that you guys put in over them. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, man. Those are, those are going to be awesome. No doubt. We're, we're super excited about them. No doubt. Well, what do you see occupying most of your time until you have to really turn your attention back to, getting things dialed in for waterfowl season. I mean, we got, we got little time here left in August. We'll roll into September. You know, I assume things are going to start getting pretty serious for you guys in October. So what do you oh, yeah. see occupying most of your time over these next, you know, two months? Well, we've got a little bit of deer stuff going on. Um, I think we're going to, we're going to do a few dove hunts, nothing, nothing crazy. Um, just, just planning, um, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to get some wetlands built and, and planning with that. You got a little bit of stuff to do around the lodge. Really just a bunch of, bunch of odds and ends stuff. Nothing nothing super pressing, but just enough to stay busy for sure. Gotcha. Well, Michael, man, I appreciate you taking your time and hopping on here with me. Before we got on, we were talking about fishing a little bit and uh, would love to get set up. Let's go, let's go catch some smallmouth sometime and one of these Ozark creeks before uh, waterfowl season gets too hot and heavy. Hey Amen. I'll be ready. I'll be ready. All right, Spain. I'll talk to you soon, my friend. Appreciate you hopping on with me. All right, no problem. Thanks for the call. See you, buddy. All right, I'll see you. All right, Michael Spain. You can find those guys on social media, Instagram at Blue Stem Waterfowl. Make sure you get yourself subscribed. I know I say it every week. It's like a broken record, but it's here. We've got some awesome, awesome stuff coming. Don't want you guys to miss out on it. We've got a lot of new products, a lot of new trips on the schedule. We're going to get to experience some really cool stuff this season and love to have you all along for the ride. Until next time, y'all be good. Thank you for listening to the Dive Bomb Squadcast. 